podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, whatever time it is in the world, wherever you are tuning in from. If you are tuning in on YouTube, make sure you hit the subscribe button. If you're watching on YouTube or on Facebook, please hit like. Okay, that's the uh, business work out of the way, if you like. Let's get on with this rather spontaneous show. I just thought I wanted to air a couple of thoughts. Hi, Miles. Nice to have you on board. Please do share your thoughts, Miles, on the two uh, Beijing men's ATP 500 semifinals today. I need to be very specific about that. And it's going to be a short show, um, partly because it's just a couple of matches. I don't want to infringe upon a much broader look back on the tournament in tomorrow's ATP Weekly. You'll notice that ATP Weekly has been delayed slightly this week, of course, because of the nature of the Asian swing with the finals occurring midweek, both in Astana today, but also tomorrow in Beijing. Um, but yeah, I thought I'd do this show because I think there's a few sort of narratives and storylines that I would like to share with you, particularly from the Alcaraz Cinematch. But it won't be too long because also Manchester United are kicking off in 25 minutes. And uh, yeah, I want to desperately see that. And fingers crossed we get a better result than most of our matches this season. But anyway, this is not talking football. This is talking tennis. So let's begin with Alcaraz's defeat, or perhaps you should say Sinner's uh, victory over Alcaraz today. I saw some conjecture as well and some fair points from Damien as to whether it's 4-3 or 4-4, depending on whether you count challengers and qualifiers. I think it is kind of ridiculous that we don't include challengers and qualifiers um in the head-to-head and yet we do include labor cup so that just seems to be uh, an odd thing and i'm all for uh changing both the rule books but also i'm all for anyone who wishes to include those either way sinner is causing a problem for carlos alcaraz okay that's the broader issue we will now on one or two other issues regarding carlos perhaps in the last three months since the wimbledon final but the sort of narrower point, uh, or sorry, broader point, is that Yannick can beat him. And yet, as Owen points out here in this tweet that I'd like to share with you uh, right now, it's kind of a bit inexplicable or difficult to explain because, as Owen says here, the Alcaraz-Sinner rivalry is pretty interesting because Alcaraz is, for me as well, marginally better in just about every category. And Owen here um, suggesting the same. And yet, when they step on court, it's a 50-50. It really is a 50-50, whether you think it's 4-3 to Sinner or 4 or whatever. You know, the sets are pretty equal. You don't really know the outcome. I think today many of us, me included, had Alcaraz as the favourite. 
particularly as he took an early lead at two love and then also at three two with a break. But listen, today there were several things that were in Sinner's favour, in my opinion. Uh, not not you know factors that he was in control of, and um, I think um, deserves to be mentioned. Let's compare forehands today. There was only one winner. I think at the one point during the first set or towards the end of the first set, I think it was 6-2 in winners um, in terms of Sinner. But also Sinner was hitting that with such velocity and such ferocity. Alcaraz couldn't live with it at times. I mean, Alcaraz's defense today, to be fair, was almost at the absolute peak level that he's capable of. I do think there's still one or two movement issues, perhaps. I don't know to what extent. We're just speculating regarding this thigh strapping. I know he had it on during Wimbledon and previous tournaments, but it did seem to grow in magnitude, uh, let's say, but both in terms of what I could see in terms of where it was. And I think I can even see some kind of sort of strapping at the lower back as well today that seemed to be fairly similar. Um, and I think we did notice certainly in that semi-final against Medvedev when he sort of checked out of the second set and checked out of certain rallies, very un-Carlos-like. And yet, I don't think, I think even a, a fit and firing Alcaraz, as we saw in New York last year or in Miami earlier this year, it's nip and tuck between these guys. It really, really is. And it didn't quite take off today's match in the same way that some of those aforementioned matches did. There were some highlights, though, for me. I think the defence from both players was just sensational. And often I find defence almost as exhilarating as attack in, in a rare uh, example in, in tennis in this sense. And both of them were unbelievable. I would say as well, the, I was talking about a list of things where Sinner was just slightly better than his opponent in crucial areas. The forehand I've already mentioned, it was an issue for Alcaraz during the North American swing, and it was an issue today, certainly at, at crucial points. Secondly, it was Sinner that was the stronger mentally today, not... That, that was a significant thing. And I think even, a you know, a, it's not the reason that Sinner won the match. But but let's look at Sinner rather than Alcaraz, I think. Let's focus on the positives regarding his mental strength today and fortitude. When he lost that first game, I'm sure you, like I, was thinking, well, Alcaraz was the favourite for me. Alcaraz is going to go on and win this match. And, of course, at two, love, Alcaraz had break points for a double break lead, not only does Sinner keep his nerve and actually hold on to his serve, there you go, like that little rhyming thing there, but he also then broke Alcaraz's serve and held. Now we're at two all. We're still thinking, no big deal. I remember saying earlier as well that the serve scenario between Alcaraz and Sinner is not quite as significant as it was in the previous semi-final, which Medvedev won over um, Zvedev, where there were just two breaks of serve in the entire match. And it was really nip and tuck, but a couple of crucial games going Medvedev's way, fine margins, but that's how that match was. Here, we already had two breaks of serve in the first four games. And in fact, we got a third one in the fifth game. And now Alcaraz has got it back on track. And again, Sinner pegs him back. Also in the tie break, it was Sinner who had the early advantage. I think it was up at 5-2, but... Alcaraz gets it back to 5-4 and they're back on, on serve, basically. And you're thinking, this is a tough one now for Sinner. And yet it was Sinner who knuckled down and ended up winning that tie break. And actually, before you knew it, it was two love up 
at the beginning of the second set. There was another metric uh, to use the terminology that Owen has used on the screen today that I think also was in Sinner's favour today, and that was the serving. It was something that was highlighted at the beginning of the match by a couple of people saying that for them, Sinner's serve was still not good enough at the top level. Although I probably agree with that in terms of being quite at the level to win Grand Slams right now, I think there has been a small improvement in uh, Sinner's serving. And I think it's been a small but good overall year for Yannick. I'm going to actually just share a tweet that I sent out uh, today, which I think was significant both in terms of today's result, but also in terms of uh, Sinner's year. Uh, as Sinner, by the way, looks as though he's almost certain to qualify for the end of year finals in uh, Turin. Uh, here we go. Here's the tweet that I that I put out earlier. So with that win, Yannick Sinner almost seals his Turin spot, and I think it's been a solid year with progress. You know, I talked about Yannick. Uh, I talked about Taylor Fritz a couple of weeks ago with Jack, and also have been on Twitter in terms of you know it hasn't been as good a 2023 as 2022, and that's really kind of how we measure success as a tennis player. Did you have a better year than last year? Now, that doesn't matter if it's if you're Liam Brody or Novak Djokovic. Um, that's kind of how we assess your year, if you've, if you've made a step forward. And for me, Yannick Sinner, in sealing his spot in Turin, uh, where, of course, he wasn't there last year, although I think uh, he was having injury issues at that point of the year, to be fair. I think he was the alternate the year before that. But this year, I think he's almost certain to make it uh, currently in fourth spot, but uh, with a nice cushion over the other three or four people behind him. Solid year with progress. I think the serve has improved a little bit, and today it was better than uh, Carlos's. And I also think he was better on return than Carlos, but that was possibly because of that serve dynamic that I just highlighted. Plus, regarding uh, Sinner's year, um, he is at least the equal for an ever-improving Alcaraz. Alcaraz, year on year, is getting better. And still, Sinner's there, not going away. He's also won his first Masters title. He's also got to his first Grand Slam semi-final. And who knows, the year could yet have another crowning glory, and perhaps even in Turin itself. Okay, Yannick Sinner, positives tick. He will now play Daniel Medvedev. I will talk about that uh, very, very shortly. Let's just have a quick look in the live chat. Uh, yes, he did, Mars. I think it was the year before last. Uh, and indeed, made his first Grand Slam semi-final. Miles, I'm I'm detecting a soft spot uh, for um, Mr. Sinner. I was going to call him Senor, but I think that's only in Spanish. Uh, <laughs> no, Lan, suggesting that, um, I don't know if Miles is offended by this, but Miles is, uh, no, no, is suggesting you, you wouldn't take a game off Yannick Sinner. Well, if you took a couple of points off him, I think that would be, uh, would be good enough. And I don't know how miles your 2022 was. Uh, let, I don't know if you've had a better 2023, uh, whether we look at it in tennis terms or, of course, uh, your podcast and YouTube channel uh, tuned into tennis. Um, yeah. Okay, that's an interesting point. I wasn't aware of that, that he didn't really take on tennis full time until he was 13. That's a, a very interesting point. Uh, and he's not even 23 yet. Trending upward. Absolutely. Okay, Alcaraz. Now, here perhaps is where a lot of, of course, uh, many people's headlines might be because, you know, he's a two-time Grand Slam winner. He's spectacular. He's a recent world number one and may yet still return 
to world number one. But of course, that was a result today was good news for Novak Djokovic's chances of ending the year in that spot. Uh, by the way, just before I, I touch on our quest, please do hit the like button. And there's a button below this screen somewhere down there that says subscribe. Please also click on that. So, of course, Alcaraz will also take many of the headlines for the aforementioned reasons. Uh, there are kind of positives and negatives, of course, as always. I'll perhaps just share the um, scoreline with you there in case you're not sure and you're just tuning in, you're thinking to yourself, yeah, but what was the actual score? Well, it was 7661. Uh, and that included, um, I think there were three breaks of serve there for Sinner in that um, third set because actually sealed the match with a break as well. And it seemed like a bit of a demoralized Alcaraz as it is that second set wore on. I do think that's a fair point that one or two people have made since. Uh, but I do think that there's far broader tennis issues that were were to blame today. First of all, the man on the other side of the net in Yannick Sinner. Secondly, the forehand. Thirdly, the serve. Uh, and perhaps even the return. Just one or two percent off. And that's all it takes at this level, particularly against an opponent such as um, Yannick Sinner. But again, let's go back to our good friend, Mr. X. Uh, aka Twitter. Um, and again, I think there was a, uh, uh, you know, I've mentioned some of the tennis flaws, if you like, I think a little bit of the movement as well. Hey, hey listen, in 10 days from now, or a couple of weeks from now, we could be looking at uh, Carlos Alcaraz winning another Masters 1000 and the first time for him in, in Shanghai. So that, of course, gets underway tomorrow. Probably he would still go into that as the favourite depending on the draw, depending on where Sinner probably falls more than anyone else, depending on, of course, the condition that some of these players are going to be in. I mean, Zverev has played a lot of tennis in the last couple of weeks, and perhaps that caught up with him today. I will just touch on that second semi-final shortly, 10 minutes away from kickoff at Old Trafford. So you've at least everyone out there, you know exactly when this show is going to be the absolute end. It will not go beyond 12 minutes from now. So anyway, Alcaraz, uh, broader issues, yes, tennis issues that I think will get ironed out. There is a, there is something else, of course, going on with Alcaraz at the moment. I think in terms of, you know, his uh, schedule in that we know that he's going to be competing. I think he's been confirmed for Basel. Uh, by the way, he's also been confirmed today for Rio. So we pretty much know how his next four months are going to look like. We also know that after this indoor season is done, and so that would be the ATP finals in Turin for him, he will not be... Uh, playing tournaments pre-Australian Open. No United Cup, no Adelaide. Uh, there's a 250 in India, I believe, but I, I would probably have thought that the Adelaide one would really have been the most likely one. There will be no tennis for him. He will begin his tournament possibly on the on the Sunday in, in Australia because, of course, we now know it's going to be a 15-day tournament. That is the plan. I think it's an interesting plan, and it may well be the right one. Um we see it a lot with with other players, you know, going into Wimbledon in particular, where Rafa and Novak barely play any tennis beforehand. Uh, but there's a, a few reasons that, of course, with the with the scheduling and, and Roland Garros obviously finishing on the eve of of that tournament or the grass court season in particular, and also uh, the quick turnaround and the fact that at Roland Garros those two are normally fairly deep in that tournament, Rafa in particular. So that makes sense. But it's an interesting one, and I kind of understand it. I think. There's a lot of players, Stefano Tsitsipas brings to mind, who don't take, haven't taken advantage enough of the off-season. Perhaps Kasparu, perhaps even Rafa himself last year with those exhibitions in Latin America. So I think it's a really interesting plan. 
And I think if Carlos can get through the first couple of rounds in Melbourne, that's it. That's your preparation. Then you're on. The problem is, is if you may be a bit vulnerable in the first round or two and you have a tough draw, you may, you know, you get Jack Draper in round one or round two and you're thinking, oh dear, this is a bit tricky. Well, Jack Draper wouldn't be surprised if he is seeded by them because um, he's playing good tennis right now. And we also know that he signed up for Rio. So that's, I think, kind of an interesting one. So I don't know whether that means uh, he will or will not play Acapulco, but yeah, that's Carlos's schedule. But um, I also think there's been some hyperbole on our good friend X today. Uh, and I also think, not just hyperbole, I just think that it's it's far too much recency bias. I did suggest that today uh, Carlos was a bit demoralized as it got towards the end of the match there at 4-1, 5-1 in that second set. I do think that he was struggling to find a way, as is, as is kind of highlighted here in this tweet, uh, by AM to 2 p.m., um, where he says one of the challenges for Alcaraz would be to find the resilience that the big three has to uh, has to fight when struggling. Similar to when Djokovic found a way in Cincinnati against him, Nadal or Djokovic would not have disappeared in the second set after a hard-fought set. I don't think he disappeared. He had a match point. Um, he had a championship point in that second set. So he's he's up a set and a break, I know, and Djokovic, as Djokovic can do, and also the conditions were very significant as that match cooled. And the temperatures dropped and Djokovic found a second wind. And we also know how Djokovic tends to favour sort of the uh, early evening or later night matches, as we see so often in Melbourne in particular. I think that was more significant than Alcaraz's lack of resilience. In fact, I would actually say that that was another match there in Cincinnati that highlighted Carlos's unbelievable resilience because basically he was on the rack uh, so much in that third set. I mean, again, he's facing championship points of his own. By the way, the championship point he didn't win was of no fault of, of Carlos's. It was on a Djokovic serve. Djokovic served really well and, and Alcaraz was never in the point. And that's just, that's, that happens in tennis. But he's, he's down a break and he actually is almost down a double break. He's actually facing championship points on his own serve. And we all remember that unbelievable ball that he chases down that prompted Novak to mention um, both in his aftermatch speech on court and also in his press conference. These Spanish guys just won't go away. What's going on? So I actually think he showed unbelievable resilience in Cincinnati. And if you're unsure about it and you want a bit more evidence regarding Novak, uh, regarding Carlos Alcaraz's re resilience, look no further than the Wimbledon final where you lose the first set 6-1 um, to a guy who's not lost on centre court for 10 years. That must have been pretty demoralising, but he found a way of winning the second set. He also found a way of winning that 25-minute uh, game on Djokovic's serve unbelievable mental strength and unbelievable resilience once he went up a break in that fifth set to serve it out the way he did so many first serves unbelievable and if you want one more one more and I could go on you know I could go on with that Madrid win for example over Djokovic but also winning the title there and also the way he managed to win Barcelona last year with in tough three setters and often being down and then sometimes up and losing leads but if you want one more example of resilience for Carlos Alcaraz, how about winning a Grand Slam, spending more time on court than anyone else in, in men's history? How about that? I think that's pretty much case closed. Okay. Um, cool. Uh, sorry, Miles, I can just see your question here. It's Carlos Alcaraz. He is going to play uh, the ATP Tour Finals. And then he's shutting his season down. I mean, the season is basically done, apart from Davis Cup, for which Spain haven't qualified. But 
He's not doing any warm-ups uh, pre-Australia. That's my point. Um, and also, Matthew, you make a really good point there, yeah. I mean, prime. we could probably look at maybe some of Djokovic's resilience in his early 20s and, and late teens. You could perhaps even look at maybe uh, Federer when he started to have a rival and, and maybe he couldn't always find a way against Rafa and, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, uh, exactly, Miles. I mean, that, I, I just can't, I don't even think uh, the big three have probably shown, despite their unbelievable, I mean, maybe Rafa in Australia in 2022 and some other exams, but yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I think it is smart. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. I'm actually surprised, though, that he's going to play Rio. Uh, he's uh, at least signed up and he's in for Basel as well. So I guess he's certainly going crazy for it. Um, but there we go. Hotman Cup should still be in that time slot. Um, anyway, I think we've done Alcaraz and Sinner. I do just want to quickly touch on um, Medvedev against... Um, against Zverev today. Uh, for those of you who didn't see it, Medvedev won in straight sets. Uh, just one break of serve in each set. I mean, I think there was just, this is fine margins, this one. If, if Sinner was comfortably the better player, yeah, Rio on clay, uh, Miles, yeah, it's interesting that he signed up for that. At least that's the Rio account. I mean, we do see tournaments saying, I mean, I remember Craig Tiley in, in Australia a couple of years ago when Federer hadn't played for like a year or two. We're still saying, yeah, Federer's going to play. I remember David Ferrer this year for Barcelona. Yeah, Rafa's going to be here. So I do know that they don't sell tickets as soon as they can, but I guess they've got some kind of confirmation. Basel as well. He's going to play Basel too, but that's, of course, this year. Yeah, I know what you mean. It was it was no um, peak uh, Sinner Alcaraz, that's for sure. And in fact, it probably wasn't even as good as Alcaraz or as exciting as Alcaraz Sinner today because I still think that it didn't reach the heights that Sinner Alcaraz of, of previous uh, encounters, but it was still pretty good. By the way, please hit the like button and subscribe to the channel if you are new. Okay, just a very short one on Medvedev Svedev because Manchester United are going to be kicking off in about four minutes. Uh, this was nip and tuck uh, and really was just the tale of a couple of service games really in the first or you probably three service games in the match of interest in a match that spanned, I'm going to say 19 games. I think it was 6-4, 6-3 to, to Medvedev today. And there were three service games, basically, that told the tale. It was 16, 17 holes of serve, but I do highlight one as well because the first six games of the first match... By the way, the first six games of Medvedev's Vedev were done in about 20 minutes. The first six games of Alcaraz Sinner... Uh, sorry, the first three games of Alcaraz Sinner were 20 minutes. So it was kind of a very different pace, as you can imagine, with the serve and, and rally dynamic there with the two players. Um, but yeah, the first six games were, were shared and there was not, not a, a deuce or anything close to a service break until the seventh game. And Zverev had pressure on the Medvedev serve and he had chances to break and he had break points, but he also had chances in those points. And I remember, I think it was a, a backhand that he hit into the tram line that he really shouldn't have done and maybe should have just been a bit more patient there, Zverev. And it cost him because eventually Medvedev big hold for 4-3, um, I think it was 4-3. In fact, it might have been a big hole for 4-all. Something like that at that juncture. And then there's uh, a couple of holes of serve. And then Medvedev just strikes on the third break point. At, at, and, and Zverev, by the way, had been holding serve so comfortably. Hadn't been pushed at all. And I remember going into that 4-5 game at the end of the first set thinking, 
this will be interesting now if he suddenly faces a break point because having not really been touched on his serve at all, suddenly you're serving to stay in the set and it's a nervy moment. You know, that scoreboard that we're playing against, if you like, all the time in tennis. And of course, if you're serving second, even more so. 4-5, he's 15-40 down, he gets that back. But on the third break point, uh, advantage uh, Medvedev and Medvedev breaks and wins the set. And that was, you know, I mentioned two or three service games, but you could almost argue just one because... From that moment onwards, it just sort of felt like a long way back for Svedev. The second set was a similar tale. Uh, there were a bit more. There was a bit more pressure on each player's serve, I, I would suggest. But ultimately, it was just another one break of serve that Medvedev took at. I think it was at four three, and then he makes it five three, and then serves it out super comfortably. I think to love, um, and that was it. So, final thoughts on the final because I've got 60 seconds before I have to end this stream and switch over to Manchester United Galatasaray and um yeah we've got a final now Daniel Medvedev against Yannick Sinner but for all the positivity for Yannick Sinner and his fans let me just tell you if you're not aware already uh the head to head does not look good for the Italian in fact it doesn't look good at all. If you're not sure, it's 6-0 for uh, Daniel Medvedev. So, yeah. And, of course, they played in the Miami final early this year. I actually thought that one could be a lot closer. It was very comfortable for Medvedev. I don't think Sinner can damage Medvedev in the same way that players like Djokovic did in New York recently, of course, and also in Paris Bursi a couple of years ago. Carlos Alcaraz, so famously both in Indian Wells and Wimbledon this year, albeit that Alcaraz did lose that New York semi-final. Yannick Sinner hasn't quite got that serve-volley dynamic that he can lean on in the way that those two players can. And as a result, I do expect Daniel Medvedev to win that match tomorrow. It'll be live on the channel, so please tune in tomorrow for that. I think Damien and perhaps myself as well will be covering that match. So uh, hit the like button, subscribe and all that other jazz. And I will be speaking to you all very soon. P thank you, Miles, for tuning in. Michael as well. Uh, wonderful to have you on board just here at the end. And uh, Nerlan and all the others, Matthew as well, some great points from all of you. And uh, yeah. Anyway, Tennis World, thank you for stopping by and you know the drill. If you enjoyed this video, make sure you hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis. Sports Social Podcast Network.